Welcome to a special edition of The Overwhelmed Brain. Matthew Bivens joins me for an emotionally intelligent conversation about a challenge going on in one of the listeners' lives. Hope you can join me for this on-location conversation. Stick around. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old, rehashed, personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Welcome to The Overwhelmed Brain. I am your host, Paul Coliani, a personal empowerment coach. I am here to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about in this show or my guest is our personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a professional before making any changes to your medical treatment. All right, today's episode is uh, midweek. That means that it's not a normal episode. I've invited Matthew Bivens with the Having It All podcast back on the air to help me catch up on some emails and to talk about a challenge that a listener is going through. And I hope that our conversation helps this listener or anyone of you listening now that uh, might be going through the same thing. And as you'll hear me say, I really enjoy having Matthew on because He's in the personal growth and development space, and he's very emotionally intelligent, and he offers a different viewpoint, and I appreciate that viewpoint. And another reason is because he's a nice guy. I like him, <laughs> and we have good conversations. And uh, this is a special episode, like I said at the beginning, because it is on location. And what that means is that we took uh, our recording equipment, it's actually Matthew's recording equipment, and sat in a coffee shop. And we left all the background noise in, and we are there live recording in this coffee shop. We have a little nook that we sat in and had these microphones set up and a recording device to record our conversation about this. So it was fun, and we're going to leave all the background noise in, including the train that went by a couple times. So you'll hear that. But uh, what I really like about this, and I'm hoping we can do this more often, is that when I listen to shows that bring me into a conversation, especially in an environment, a, a regular place that anyone might go and visit. I really feel like I'm there. That's what I want for you. I want you to feel like you're really there having this conversation with us, or at least uh, being engaged and perhaps listening and learning intently or just being part of something bigger than yourself. I guess I could say that is that when you are with a group of friends, you're part of something bigger. You're involved. That's what I want. I want you to be involved and be there with us. So as we go into this conversation, just pretend you're right there with us, enjoying the conversation, listening to us go back and forth. And if you want to talk, just pause it and just talk, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. This may or may not work, but we'll see. I hope you enjoy the conversation regardless. Be back after to close the show. So I really like, I really appreciated our conversation, Matthew, before um, what we're talking about today. Um, it's great to have you. This is Matthew. Um, this is with me, Matthew Bivens. Uh, he does the Having It All podcast. He does the 
doing it at home podcast with his wife Sarah. Sarah, yep. And uh, I say that as a as a question. I know Sarah. I just <laughs> maybe maybe you might be nervous. Maybe you're just maybe nervous on it. this mic. I don't know. Well, there are. It's a different <laughs> mic, and there are people around here, and they probably might stop and listen, and they're that'll staring be staring at us <laughs> through the window, tapping the glass. Yes. yes. And and there was somebody. She just looked. And uh, what we're doing today is, um, and like I said, this, this is a special episode of the Overwhelmed Brain. And what I want to do is, I've I've brought with me three emails, and I think we're only going to have time to read maybe one and comment on one. So we'll see how this goes. But um, you know, it's funny. A little side story. I I sent you a copy of all three emails. And I said, okay, which one do you want to talk about? One of the copies I sent you didn't go to you. It went back to the the listener, the, the person who wrote it. Oh, interesting. So here I am feeling like, oh my God, what did I say? Is she going to take it the wrong way? Is this going to really expose me for the fraud that I... No, I, I think that's scary when you think... We were talking about this in another episode too, where you think, I just sent it to the wrong person. What yeah. did I say? There's that feeling, that drop. Like, do what did I write in there? What yes. did I happen to say? Because it wasn't intended to go to you. Oh my gosh. So yes. I've been there. I know what it feels like. And, and this gave, this reminded me of an important lesson, which I think is important just to carry with you as a philosophy throughout life is who are you when no one's looking? Yes. Yes. I, I say in the secrecy, you know, like when no one's around, it's just you. How do you show up? Who are you? Exactly. And, and I've heard it said as, you know, uh, your true character is defined when no one's looking. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great way to put it. And uh, it also keeps you honest. It keeps you humble. It keeps you just being more careful. At the same time, I've also said, you know, I think it's okay to come home from a hard day of work and vent to your significant other or a family member or anyone that you can find that you trust and you can tell secrets to and say, God, Joe at work, he just pisses me off so bad. What an A. You you just want to vent it out because there's all this emotional energy that's built up inside of you. And what do you do with it? Do you hold on to it and then take it out on your kids? Do you hold on to it and go to work the next day all stressed out? Or do you release it? Now, it, this is like kind of the opposite of who are you when no one's looking. But at the same time, you just have to be aware, especially with emails, like we've talked about in our, another show, that what you, what you send out there may not necessarily go to the recipient. Yeah. So it's nice not to be too emotionally uh, expressive <laughs> in yeah. these emails. So the, the person who received the email... I uh, got a message like, hey, Matt, uh, this is one of three emails that I want to send to you. Some of the stuff I get is very deep and challenging. Uh, tell me which one you want to talk about. So fortunately, that's all I said <laughs> And instead of like going into personal stuff. But anyway, let's get to our, our subject today. Thank you for being here, Matt. Thank you for supplying all the hardware. Uh, I've taken a couple of pictures. I'll probably post this on my Facebook page. Cool. So that'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for uh, inviting me back. Uh, we've done this two other times, and it's been phenomenal. Um, I love it. I, I just love this opportunity to to bounce things back and forth and share my perspective and then hear yours, and I learn from you, and um, I learn from your listeners, and I, I'm, I'm just humbled by their vulnerability. 
and and inspired by their vulnerability is probably the better word to use because to to share some of the things that they've shared with you um, that we've talked about on the show incredible like it takes guts to do that it does I, I think you're absolutely dead on and uh, people just write to me that I've never met and just spill spill the beans you know tell me their life story yeah it's amazing so uh, great way uh, to say it and uh, again thank you for doing this with me on location and uh, we were going to talk about which email that we are going to discuss there's three of them here I don't know did you read this one I did yes okay yes. that was the one you read why don't we just talk about this first? I'm going to read this email and then we'll see where we go with it. Um, this is from someone I'm going to call Jill. Hi, I'm a big fan of your podcast and listen religiously. Thank you for all the wonderful insights. You are welcome, Jill. Thank you. I have no problem. I have a problem with my mother. I believe she is a narcissist and my dad is an enabler to her behavior. But I'm not a professional. I can't say for sure. Although this is more about me and not about her. My mom, she has little air quotes, I mentioned is actually uh, a couple of other family members. I was adopted at a very young age by them because my biological parents were drug users, drug users and abusive. From living with a narcissistic parent who's not really my parent, I've been conditioned to feel like a resource, only worth, that, uh, only worth what I can provide, cleaning, childcare, emotional support. I know this is very common in a narcissistic relationship, but I feel that the desperate need for me to feel like part of the family has given me self-worth issues that I'm trying to work through. I moved out and married now, and my husband is completely supportive of how I feel about my parents. He sees it firsthand and emotionally supports me. I'm at a point where I think that going no contact with them can help me heal and move on in life, but it's a huge loss to my inner child, having no parents. When that's all I ever wanted uh, is a normal, loving relationship with a family. How do you think I can fix my self-worth issues? and stop seeing myself as a resource for anyone that comes into my life. Now, thank you for that. Uh, thank you for sharing that, Jill. So, you know, I try to focus in on the main issue that is happening here. There's, there's a couple of issues. One, going no contact with mm -hmm. your mom. Yes, that's, that's a challenge. You said something about um, your inner child's taking a hit. You know, I just want to comment on inner child for a moment, if I may. I'm asking Matt. <laughs> um, inner child. I personally don't like the term. I think it's overused, but I use it because it's probably the best way to describe what's going on. Inner child, at least the way I see it, is when you developed an emotional trigger at the time of childhood and haven't been able to let it go. Yeah. Your inner child is somebody that you carry around with you that when you feel something today that you felt as a child it's typically related to that for example uh when i used to get triggered when uh when i was really young when my romantic partner my girlfriend would drink alcohol because i grew up in an alcoholic household i got triggered when people would drink alcohol alcohol around me so in my 20s and 30s i'm an adult why can't i handle that but my inner child is all the beliefs, perceptions, and uh, ideas about the world that I carried with me throughout the years. So this inner child is with us getting triggered all the time. 
the inner child is also the happy, fun, laughy person that you may have felt as, in childhood when you felt free and liberated and not in not under control. The inner child is, is I almost see it as the exaggerated emotions that we have today. Whereas the adult, and I know I'm speaking out of terms here with um, psychological aspects, but uh, at least therapeutically speaking, again, this is my perception, where the adult steps in and has more control over his or her life and can actually help themselves, help that inner child by stepping in and saying something uh, like, I got this, don't worry, I can handle this. That's when the, adult, the inner adult steps in. You, who you are today, unless you're still a child. But typically the adults listening to the show, who you are today. So you have an adult resource inside of you. You may, not, you may or may not know it. If you don't know it, I like to say you can emulate someone that you'd like to be that would show up for this inner child in you. Yeah. When I explain the concept, Matt, of inner child, um, do you have that same viewpoint or something similar or something different? Uh, it's very similar. Um, with, with inner child, you know, I think when it is used, I, I hear it more about the inner child being connected to disempowering experiences than I do the inner child of, you know, with the positive, the childlike play, the fun energy. And so when I hear that, something having to do with inner child, for me, it brings up, okay, that there's probably something to be healed. That's my context around it because I think that's what I hear a lot of. That's what I read a lot of. But I absolutely, you know, I have those experiences of myself of connecting with some sort of emotion that I felt at some point in life and then I I can't let go even though now I'm in my 30s. It's like I I just, I can't let go. And for me, it had to do with body image. You know, I I have a younger sister, but she sprouted and grew and she was much bigger than me. So people always thought I was... The younger one Hmm. and I just I attach to this idea of being small of being small short and juvenile and so like even today when somebody if I have to provide my weight or my height for something I feel those emotions of being too small you know too little and it just has to do with that inner child that that thing that from years and years and years ago when I was five years old, you know, connecting with that emotion. So that's how I view inner child. And I like what you said, sort of a, a, a way for, for you to approach and heal and work with the inner child. You know, you said maybe emulate somebody that you, that you look up to or um, something like that. And, and for me, I think it's, it's similar type of advice. It's like, what would you tell somebody who was experiencing what you're going through? You know, if you were to step yeah. into maybe the, the coaching role or the advice giving role, or if somebody came to you with that same type of question or dilemma, how would you help them? And then turning that advice back on yourself. Yeah, that's great input. It's your own best friend, your own parent. And that's an interesting um, little segue we can make here is that, you know, if she goes no contact with her, quote, mom, because she has a relative that is taking care or has brought her up Mm -hmm. Um, and her real mom and dad weren't emotionally or physically available for her at all so now the inner child and I I was thinking about this earlier now the inner child has no really unconditional support structure in place 
not that that's true, but it's a... Yeah, yeah, continue. Yeah, but it's a belief Mm -hmm. that was created that I have no unconditional support structure. Oh, we have a train. This is good. Oh, yeah. Let's wait a moment. (laughs) This is the uh, casualties of live recording. Yeah. On On the scene recording. So... The the inner what was I gonna say the um what was I talking about <laughs> you're talking about uh, cutting off the contact with the the yes. parent figures and then having not no longer having the unconditional love yes. yes so the idea behind having unconditional support when you're younger it, it, this is your reliance when you're a child you rely on your parents you rely on the adults to to help you out to feed you you don't even know you don't understand what is needed in the world to get through it you don't understand money you don't understand relationships in the same way as you do when you grow older and it's different so when you lose a parental figure in your life you believe you're losing some a support structure that won't ever be there again so I can understand how that might feel like a huge loss. Absolutely. And that loss is experienced by a lot of people who either lose someone, they, you know, or that person's emotionally unavailable, or they're so toxic you need to go no contact like this person is thinking. So the idea is, okay, now I have, is to understand, now I have this feeling of loss in me. I don't have a, a parent. And the inner child concept works because you become the parent to that inner child. This is what Matt was saying, was that you become your own best friend. You become your own parent. You become your own teacher. You become your own coach. And in a way, I'm going to say it, it sucks. (laughs) Because now you have to rely on yourself. And you have to show up for yourself. At the same time, it's liberating. Because one of the things that you said, Jill, was... Going uh, no contact can help me heal and move on in life, but it's a huge loss to my inner child. I would also say it's a huge gain. I would also say it's a huge gain for that child to not be so exposed to toxic, and I'm going to put quotes around the word love, because people think they're loving you in a healthy way, and they're causing you so much hurt is a toxic love and it, it creates what's called traumatic bonding. I don't know if you've ever heard that term, Matt, but... No, traumatic bonding? Yeah. It, it's where love and abuse are treated the same way inside you. In fact, some people can't feel love unless they're feeling abuse at the same time because they grew up being abused in some way or neglected, going through traumatic events, and the next day they're loved. Yeah, and let's yeah. go to the park. And then the next day, they're abused in some way. So this traumatic, abu- uh, traumatic bonding takes place where you believe that in order to feel love, you also have to feel some sort of pain or hurt. And this is where you might be, Jill. You are feeling like you need to have this person in your life because it's a source of love. It's a source of unconditional love. At the same time, you've mixed it you know, it's mixed in with this poison, uh, what I would call toxic, you know, stuff, relationship radiation I like to use. 
end up being in that space, you think that you're losing something. In reality, what you already said is going to happen is going to happen. Because uh, how many people have you let go in your life, man? I don't know if you've let go of a lot. I've let go of a lot of people in my life. Not all were toxic. Some just didn't benefit me, yeah. serve me. And I hate to say it that way. It doesn't mean about serving me, but serving me emotionally, bringing value into my life. Um, if there's any type of detrimental effect having this person in my life uh, and they just can't show up in a way that really benefits both of us, then I, I tend to move away from it. And of course, there were toxic people in, your li- in my life as well that I let go. But when you think about any p- toxic person in your life, have you ever had a disconnect? So my experience with what Jill is talking about has happened very recently in my immediate family between my sisters, myself, and my father. So I've, I've experienced that. And initially, I think if you had tapped me on the shoulder a year and a half ago and talked about letting go and cutting out a parent, I probably would have said, nah, you know, I, I wouldn't have supported the idea as I do today. Because I understand what it's like to have that person in your life that the energy they contribute just pulls you down. It, it's, it doesn't uplift. It doesn't heal. It doesn't feel like love. And when you continue to surround yourself by that person, no matter who it is, I think it, 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 it creates this, this, this state within you. And I, I'm sure it creates a bit of, of dissonance where you're like, it's my mother and it's, it's somebody who should be doing this, but they're doing that. And I, and I imagine there's conflict because I've experienced that and I've witnessed that in my sisters. And so I think that sometimes letting that person go and you can let them go. It doesn't have to be permanent. Meaning, it isn't, you don't necessarily have to go into it saying, I'm letting you go. I'm removing you from my life forever. Because who knows what's going to happen in a year, three years, ten years. Who knows what will happen in a month after you take that step. Because I think for some people, the act of being cut out of a person's life, like that's a big, that's a big thing. That might cause them to, to turn inward and look at what they have created themselves. You know, within my family, my sisters stopped talking to my dad. And it went on for, I want to say close to a year. And being witness to that was very interesting for me because on the one hand, I understood why. Hmm. And if I was the recipient of what they were the recipient of, I would have done the same thing. Hmm. But on the other hand, I had this paradigm around family and I had this belief that siblings not talking to parents or kids not talking to their parents was just major dysfunction and I judged it. Mm. I didn't want to be a part of a quote-unquote dysfunctional family. That's very interesting that you say that. Um, Actually having the idea behind uh, not talking to them being dysfunctional and you don't want to be that. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I'm talking about. Then you get in that space where you have these conflicting beliefs and these conflicting ideas. Interesting. Like, I want to let go because it'll, it'll serve me. But letting go means that I don't get the love, like Jill was saying. I'm without this. It's dysfunctional. And so you, you get in that space. You know, I, I think that it takes, it takes courage to be able to stand up for yourself in that way and to recognize when you know what, this person isn't moving me forward. They aren't filling me up emotionally. They, they are more of an ankle weight. And regardless of who that person is, being able to say, I'm complete with that experience for now. 
Mm. And if it lasts a long time, okay. If it lasts, you know, you're being okay with, with, the, with the consequence of making that choice. And I think that's a very challenging part. Yeah, that's a, a great way to put it. And I, I like what you said about um, the dysfunctional thing where people might believe that not talking to your parents. I mean, I, I put myself in that position and like, oh, you don't talk to your parents? They, you, you start to feel judge, judged. Yeah, because I had judged others. So that's how I felt. And that when and that situation was presented to me and in my family, so I, Joe was saying that no contact is the hard part, right? This is something I have dealt with um, with clients that have felt obsession. I'll explain the the relevance to that in a moment, um, or now. the The idea behind someone being obsessed, like over an ex, like when someone's obsessed over an ex. And they want to see everything they're doing on Facebook. And when they want to follow them and they want to you know, text them and do everything they can to stay connected to them. Yet, they know the X is bad for them. Yeah, yeah. So now they, they have cre- they're creating their own traumatic bonding by continuing the process of as long as I get, a, you know, if I get a little bit of attention from them, then I'm getting that supply. I'm getting that fix I need that might show that there's a, there's a chance that they still might want to get back together or that they ha- are improving themselves in some way and they're going to show up differently in my life again. And I think it's very important to understand, in my opinion, the relevance between that kind of obsession and the idea of being afraid to break contact. Because what I like to tell people is that when it, when it comes to being obsessed about someone, is that the only way to heal from it is to go no contact. And what I mean by that is that, like I was obsessed with all of my wife's, when I was married, when I got divorced, all of my wife's uh, activities. And it's terrible because now we have access to everyone's activities through social media. Yeah. At least the people that are online doing it. This was after the divorce? After the divorce. Oh, okay. So after, after I got divorced, um, I wanted to know what she was doing and who uh. she was with. Actually, it was after the separation, before the divorce actually took place, but I was still doing it after that. Um, who was she with? What is she doing? And uh, you know, all these thoughts that go through my mind, I wish I had, was observant enough of my own behavior to, to be there <laughs> consciously while I was going unconscious, being obsessive. Uh, so I realized one day, and I've talked about this on the show, we we had talked back and forth and she still wanted to be friends and I decided you know I was very blaming and still judging her for things and I was just blaming her for the end of the relationship even though it was I took it all I took all my it was all my fault being judgmental toward her it was just an unhealthy place to be I finally sent her an email breaking off all contact and that was the hardest email to send it was the hardest because if I broke off all contact, then there's no chance we'll ever get back together. Yeah. The hope is gone. The hope is yeah. gone. And to come to that space inside of me where I'm going to break off contact, I think where Jill is now, I, that means I won't have a mom. I mean, for her. That means I won't have this connection that I thought was going to last the rest of my life when it comes to my marriage. Boy, when you think of terms that, in terms of that, you don't want to do it. But here's what happens. There's a commitment to closure. If you can get in your mind and start to focus that when I create this closure, 
the healing will begin. Then it's easier, it's still hard, but it's easier to go no contact. For those who don't know, no contact is you block them on your phone, you stop following on Facebook, you, you figure out ways that even if you tried, you couldn't find them. Yeah. If they have some app location software and you have it installed on your phone and they have it installed on their phone, you uninstall it. You stop following them in every possible way and you block them from contacting you. That is no contact. It's usually done in emotionally abusive relationships and, in this case, narcissistic relationships. Or I, I think she's trying to go no contact with um, her relatives. I don't know. There's, but the people that she's trying to go no contact with is uh, when she does this, it creates a closure that your brain hadn't experienced, hasn't experienced yet. This closure that happens, because I see it as a, like a, you're climbing the mountain of stress and hurt and pain and fear, and then you, when you, and you're still, you're stuck halfway up the mountain. And that's where you stay in a traumatic bonding situation. You stay stuck halfway up the mountain. There's no resolution where you can go back down and relax. And it's still not painful enough to break it off and say, get the heck out of my life. You're stuck in the middle. It's stagnant. Yeah. So what happens? It takes a strong will to go, I'm going to break it off. I'm going to just close this relationship, cut them out of my life. Oh, my God, if I do that, I'm going to lose this. I'm going to lose that. I won't have this. I won't have that. But when you do it, your brain thinks in a different way because it's never thought that way before. Your brain processes differently and realizes, wow, without this person in my life, what do I do now? You, you don't think that way when you're in it. No, you don't, not at all. At least not in reality, like you, like you could try it on. Like, what would it be like if this person was in my life? I like to visit the idea of what would happen if they died tomorrow? How would your life be? It's kind of morbid. But what would happen if this narcissistic or toxic person in your life died tomorrow? And now you have to deal with it. It's just like you have no choice. What would happen? What would you do? What would you think? What would you say? How would it be in a week? How would it be in a month? How would you be in a year after all of that? And now you have an idea of what would happen when you go no contact. But it doesn't become real until you make, this take, make and take the steps. Um, and and I'll just if you don't mind for me when I've gone you know the the no contact thing it doesn't mean that there still won't be pain afterwards and sadness and grieving you know and in my experience the going the no contact that's when the grieving really started like that's when all that's when the the what's stuff when what's when you're allowed really, to grieve that's when you're allowed yeah you allow yourself to grieve yeah and so you know and then it was like you said, you, you, you get into that mental space where your brain starts to think slightly differently and you start to allow yourself to move forward and to realize that, okay, tomorrow's still going to come, you know, the, the things are still going to be happening and you begin to learn how to operate within this new reality for yourself, which, which is what you've created. And you know, the beginning, at least for me, it wasn't fun, it wasn't easy, and there was moments, and then in my, in my uh, case, it was a relationship that ended, and me really wanting to keep those ties. Mm. It was my longest relationship up until my marriage. 
and me being incredibly emotionally attached to this person and not, and feeling like without this person, I don't know how to function. And so when, when that relationship was over, when, when she, you know, when she dumped me, I wanted to continue to hold on and hold on to all that hope and try to do all the things to, you know, maybe it'll come back. And then stopping that and cutting that, you know, it allowed me to, to, to realize, and first of all, allowed me to learn how to rely on myself, mm-hmm. which I think is something Joe might be able to relate to, because I spent so much time relying on the, the love and affection and attention from this other person. And they were in their own space at the time, too, so they weren't giving me the love and attention and affection that I truly wanted. So I, w- I was seeking that externally, and I wasn't getting it. Mm-hmm. And so I was going and finding it in all these other places, in porn, in, in drugs, and all these different places, so that when I, cut, when I cut that off, I then had to rely on myself. And that was a very scary thing, but it was also, an, like you said, an incredibly empowering thing, because then you realize, I can rely on myself. Yeah, that, that reminds me of the, the person, I don't know if I've used this analogy before, the person at your job that is uh, incompetent. Like you, you see different things about them that seem like they can't, they'll never get it. And then suddenly they're put in charge of something. Hmm. Their brain works completely. I mean, it can happen. They're, this person's brain can change and go, wow, I'm, I'm suddenly responsible for everything. I'm suddenly responsible for my own welfare and the team. Oh, uh, uh, uh. And now their brain has to come up with resources to make it happen. Yeah. That's what it reminds me of is that you get into that space that you climb the mountain to the peak and you go, this is it. I'm going to go no contact. I'm going to cut it off. This is scary as hell. And then you do it and you go, oh, what does this mean? You know, it means that you're, you're getting forward momentum now because as soon as you hit the peak, now you can go downhill. Now it feels it's so much easier in, in a lot of ways. It's still hard. There's still things you have to deal with. But it, you feel a relief at a level that you hadn't felt. And, um, you know, this happened when, uh, what was the case for me? Oh, yeah, when I, when, I cut off the, uh, when I cut off communication with my wife, that's exactly what happened. The very next day, I don't know, it might have been the very next hour, I felt okay. Yeah. That was so weird. I went from obsessed, wanting to connect, and then when I cut it off, cut her off, I felt more peaceful. I felt like, wow. I mean, this is a little jumping the gun, but I felt like, wow, I'm healed. <laughs> huh. Yeah. It felt just different. Uh, when she asked for a divorce, the first thing I did, like in one or two days, I went to the courthouse and got the divorce started. The day after, like the day after, two days after. And I told her, and she's like, what? that quick and I was like well you want a divorce right and she goes well yeah but I just didn't think you'd do it that quickly I was like yeah but I want to start healing right away I don't know why those words came out of me but that's that's what happened I want to start healing from this right away I just knew from experience that the longer I prolong it the worse I feel about it it's that stagnant halfway up the mountain so let's get into real quick about um, this self-worth thing and building self-worth well, let me, before we go there, um, one thing I want to say is 
it doesn't necessarily, like if you have a narcissistic or toxic relationship, it doesn't mean you just have to break it off. It doesn't mean you just have to close the relationship and it's all over. They're toxic. I don't want them in my life anymore. You just run away. I mean, that's what s some people might call it. You're just running away. You're not even trying to mend the relationship. You're not trying to fix it. It's very difficult to fix relationships with highly uh, toxic people or very narcissistic people. It's difficult. Uh, I told a client recently uh, with his narcissistic mom, I said, when she says something that you know has some sort of inner meaning, like some selfish uh, goal for her inside of her, uh, the, a good way to respond is, why would you say that? And I think that's a really neat question to ask people when you feel like they're being passive-aggressive, when you feel like they, are, they don't have your best interest in mind, and they're saying something that you feel badly about. It, it's, like, it's almost meant to hurt you, but it's not, co it's not overt. They just say something that you go, wow, that, that didn't feel very good, what he just said or she just said. And so, you, and so you think, wow, I, I, now I have to get up and say, now I have to say something on the defensive. Or now I have to say yeah. something really strange. And I found, and this doesn't work for all cases, but I think a good question is, uh, oh, why would you say that? Because it, it forces them to go inside and go, uh-oh, uh, they're on to me. I, 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 well, I'm saying it because, you know, and they'll come up with something else. Oh, what are you leading to? I don't understand. You, what happens is they want you to be on the defensive. When you put them on the defensive, why would you say that? And you're being innocent about it. Why would you say that? They suddenly have to go inside them and figure something out really quick. Yeah. And I, I think it's a good process. So I would recommend, Jill, before you break it off, if there's any way of saving this, uh, it give, give this person an opportunity by letting, allowing them to go inside themselves and answer your question why would you say that because if the words come out of well you know I'm upset with you and I think such and such and such that might be a productive conversation yeah it could be absolutely so if you have that kind of mentality of like well let me just put you on the spot for a moment again innocently why would you say that uh, then it, it might lead to some productive conversation if you've tried things like that uh, or you just know that having this person in your life is toxic you know look at the trend has it always been bad or is it getting better every day, every month, every year? Because usually it doesn't get better. The trend line goes down to the right and you're like, okay, this isn't getting any better. I need to do something differently. And like Matthew said, sometimes separation is a great thing to do for a month, for a year, for t sometimes 10 years. I don't know if you have that kind of time, but that's what happens. And you can, what I like to call love from afar. I love you, and you being there is very healthy for me and for you because I'm not enabling your toxic behavior. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can definitely uh, say something like, "Listen, I, I love you, but I can't be around you." That's a great. That's a great comment. You know, you won't understand. But no, and um, it, it it will most likely bring out the defensiveness in that person, and you know, the accusatory language, and you know, because they're gonna, they might feel hurt by it, and all these different things. But you know, to be able to to see what you need and to be able to say, listen, I need this. You, know, you might say this within yourself first, like this is what I need. This is what's going to help me to experience you know, life or this situation the way that I would like to experience it, to, to experience more happiness, more peace, whatever it is, to then say, I still love you. I still hold love for you. 
but I just, I, I, I can't be around you and, you know, for these reasons and you may want to spell it out or you may not want to. And then, yeah, that's and a then, very empowered place to be when you can approach that, approach it that way. I talk about that with personal boundaries where if someone's so toxic to be around uh, and they are always violating your personal boundaries, you can say, um, I love you and I won't accept this yeah. in our relationship in my life. I love because you can uh, you can love with boundaries. Well, what's beautiful about that? I love you, and I won't accept this. Is that gets into the self worth conversation? Yes. Let's what are, what you're willing to accept? Having a conversation with someone where whether it's boundaries or their energy or whatever it is, and you say, you know, you're showing up this way, and I won't accept that. That to me is demonstrating and standing within your self worth. Mm. It's saying that I am worth more i'm worth better and i won't accept what you are presenting to me i won't accept the way you're treating me because i i value myself to a higher degree and i think that to me in my life has been a very powerful way for me to demonstrate and practice my own self-worth you know and and I, I read different blogs and I listen to different things and they talk about how to love yourself, you know, and it's exercise and eat right and stuff like that. I just don't connect with that because I, for whatever reason, but I can connect with a conversation around holding your own standard and accepting, you know, accepting a certain type of treatment for yourself. For me, that, that to me feels like that is self-worth like that. When I do that, when I say that I'm willing to accept this and be treated this way, that is me loving myself, valuing myself, and, and accepting myself. And that resonates with me. Yeah, well said. And I look at self-worth along the same lines, and this is going to be an interesting parallel, uh, along the same lines as defining meaning and purpose in your life. And, and the reason I say that, right along the lines that you just spoke of, is that when you start showing up, honoring yourself in ways that you tell the world and the people in it what you will accept and what you won't accept. These are my standards, these are my boundaries, these are my lines. When you cross the line, I'm gonna tell you about it. So what happens is you start honoring yourself and you start defining worth. You start creating a structure of worth because here you are showing up shall we say for that inner child I'm here to protect you yeah you, oh you're in pain I'm here to help you get through this pain I know it hurts I know that you're uncomfortable I know that you're feeling sad I'm, I'm stepping in and I'm going to honor our boundaries so that we can get through this together and when you do that everything you just said is true when you do that you start showing how worthy you are to yourself even if you don't feel it in the, in the beginning. You may not feel it in the beginning, but the very first time you stand up for yourself and go, wow, you're disrespecting me and I won't accept that. You know, something like that. You're disrespecting me and I don't, I don't appreciate that. I don't allow that in my life. First of all, it, it shows the other person something I guess I'll call surety of self. I am absolutely sure of myself. I am confident in knowing what I want in my life and what I don't want in my life. And I'm ready to stand up to the firing line and go to, you know, go to the dis go the distance to honor myself, to protect myself, to protect that inner child, to protect the adult person in me, you know, to protect me. 
And that structure that you, it, it gets defined every time you honor yourself. It does. Every time I've honored myself, I felt a building block of my foundation that has given me more meaning and purpose. It, it, only, it almost becomes purposeful to honor myself. I mean, it really has created purpose in my life, um, among other things, of course. But if you feel no purpose, if you feel no worth, if you feel no, there's, what's the meaning of all of this? I tell you what, you understand purpose and meaning and worth as you step into what I say, step into your powers. As you step into your power, as you feel, you will feel differently. You will feel empowered. Just like Matthew was saying, when you honor yourself in situations that were difficult before. Yeah. And I think when you do that, you learn that you can rely on yourself. You can trust yourself. You can trust yourself to stand up for yourself, to, to, you know, hold your standards. And in my, in my life, when I haven't relied on myself and I haven't trusted myself, well, then I seek that externally then I attach to another person or to another thing. And then when inevitably that person or thing goes in a different direction or, or does something that I don't like, I feel betrayed. I feel hurt. I feel without. And so it just, it's, it just repeats itself. Yeah. We, we end up relying on other people almost to a detriment that really doesn't help us sometimes. I think it's amazing to have a relationship with anyone that you can have 100% faith in, that they'll always be there, that they'll always show up, that you can always trust what they do. I think that's amazing. When we can develop those... Yeah, me too. When we, when we develop those kind of relationships, it's just, it's unbeatable. The hard part is, maybe it's not that hard, it's just a matter of doing it, um, and that is hard, <laughs> it can be, the idea of honoring yourself to the point where you can create such a solid foundation in you as an individual so that when and if, if and when, a relationship dies off, uh, needs to be cut off, that all of your reliance for fulfillment and happiness and empowerment isn't originating from one person. Yeah. It's originating inside you. Yes. You bring the healthiest uh, and most empowered version of yourself into a relationship so that when things don't work out, you have a solid base to land on, solid platform. So this is right along the area of going in the direction of um, creating a better or more self-worth inside of you. So it is, is definitely everything you just said, you said it very well um, and on how to create self-worth in you. You know, you, if you don't feel it now and you're looking for it from a parent, from someone else, well, let me put it this way. My definition of self-worth is when... Uh, how you feel about yourself when you were younger um, based on what other people thought of you and said about you. So you start to feel, oh, this is what I'm worth to others. Self-worth transitions into self-esteem. The problem with um, not having enough self-worth is that it's not so much about rebuilding self-worth today it's about what you never felt as a child. If you never felt worthy to the people that brought you into the world, if you never felt worthy to the adults around you, your caretakers, then you'll always feel like it's missing. Yeah, yeah. And then your self-esteem as an adult takes a dive. So the one thing that um, we've already talked about 
is nurturing that inner child, nurturing what's missing. What I do, if, my, if, if I feel sad, if, I, if I'm going through something, then I will actually picture myself as a boy and then go visit this little boy and say, hey, what do you need? What's going on? Oh, I'm really sad. Hey, what can, I, what can I do for you? I don't really ask those questions. It's more of a feeling thing like, hey, I'm here for you. I might hug him. I might say, you know what? We're going to get through this. And it's a weird imagination, imaginary exercise, but, you know, it, it creates change. It, it may not be a huge change for some people, but just doing that, let that little boy know, or little girl and you, Jill, that uh, you are there to help her through whatever she might have been missing, whatever might have been absent in her childhood, so that she can almost retroactively feel more worthy and more esteemed today. Yeah. It's an interesting approach. It's an interesting approach and it's an interesting practice and it can feel intimidating at first. Um, I felt awkward doing it because I've, I've done that as well where I've thought about, you know, what, I've just something just triggered me and, mm. you know, I'm recognizing that I felt that when I was eight. And so, you know, in a meditation, I'll, I'll try to go back and put myself in my eight-year-old body and my eight-year-old mind and emotions and see what I'm feeling. And then, like you said, let eight-year-old Matthew know that I'm, I'm here, I'm here for you, you're okay, and you're safe. And it's, it's an interesting practice if you've never, if, if this is the first time you've, you've heard of it. But I think it's one of those things that's worth trying. Yeah. That's great. I, I, I wasn't sure how much you practiced that, but it sounds like you've actually gone through this process. I have, yeah. That's great. So, um, Jill, let's let's just say this: uh, you're going to get through this, and you know, if you need to disconnect, if you're stuck halfway up the mountain, it's going to feel like some sort of closure, one way or another. Disconnecting is some sort of closure. It does cause the brain to think differently when you are in it, just like if you are. You know, if you feel like you're trapped and you think you have no options, suddenly the brain finds something that makes it work. I don't know if you've ever been like that in that situation, Matt. Yeah. Have you ever felt so stuck that you felt like there was no way out and then you found a way out? Yeah. And, and you know, my word for 2018, I like to set words as, as an intention in a context. My word is faith. And, you know, I define faith as trust and surrender. Mm -hmm. And so that trust component a huge part of that is trusting in myself. So what you just said, being in a situation where you feel like there's no way out and all you have is yourself to rely on, I have found that when I've been in those situations, I find some way. And mm -hmm. it, 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 it might be divinely guided, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't call myself a religious person, I, I feel I'm more spiritual, so I, when I've been in those situations, I can't necessarily explain it, but when I have to truly rely and trust on myself I make it through and and Jill I 100% believe you will too and it might seem incredibly scary and it might seem that something that's just impossible that there's no way you can you can move forward without having the assurance of that parental figure to, to give you the support and the love that you've always had or maybe you know wanted but when you give yourself an opportunity to receive that from yourself, I believe you will show up for yourself mm. and you will come through for yourself and you will come through for little Jill and for adult Jill and, and you will be 
better off and you know you you will be in a different more powerful place because of it wonderful all right jill thank you so much for writing and uh you know send me an update let me know what's going on um i do know that you're going to have an interesting uh life without toxic people in it interesting in a positive way but you know let me know what's going on i would love to hear from you again thank you so much for writing jill and this wraps it up we're gonna get moving uh probably no time for a post talk but we'll just wrap things up here and um matthew thanks for joining me if anyone wants to find out more about matthew or hear his shows why don't you tell them where to go yeah uh you can go to matthewbivens.com m-a-t-t-h-e-w-b-i-v-e-n-s.com so you can learn about me you can check out the different podcasts that i host and co-host and uh get in touch if you're interested so that's where they can yep. go. And you can find them at the Having It All podcast. I know you didn't mention those. Yes. I mentioned them at the beginning. And uh, the Doing It at Home podcast. And just to clarify that. Uh, oh, maybe I shouldn't clarify. Maybe I should just let them go find yeah, out what tease. it's about. <laughs> Doing it at home. What do you think that means? Go find out. <laughs> <laughs> Check it out. Check it out on iTunes and other podcast aggregators. And uh, thank you for listening to today's show. You are amazing. Thank you so much. And let's go. We'll talk later. I don't know what else to say to close the show. I normally have some sort of uh, outro, like step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. I'll say that later. Awesome. <laughs> all right. Thank you for joining us again. That was Matthew Bivens with the Having It All podcast and also the Doing It at Home podcast. And you can reach him at MatthewBivens.com. And I want to thank you for sticking around, listening to the whole thing. And I hope you got something from it. And uh, since this is a special episode, I don't really go into the normal outro, the conclusion of the show like I normally do and thank people and thank sponsors and such. But I do thank you. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you. I am so glad you joined us. And uh, I will talk to you again on the next episode. And just in case nobody's told you this today, you are amazing. Amazing.